Hello, podcast people. It is podcast time. I am Tommy. I am the host. What a great week this has been. We had a Super Bowl, a boat parade, the I'm Not a Cat lawyer on Zoom, the wacky impeachment theater, a new Patrice O'Neill special was announced that will be coming on Comedy Central, and China put the Tianwen-1 spacecraft in orbit around Mars. Not stopping at the moon. Write this down. M-A-R-S. Mars, bitches. That's where we're going. Red Rock. Did you know that the Martian year is equal to 687 Earth days? Fascinating. And we're just getting started. Let's open the lounge for 2021 Episode 6, Fascinating Things. So for real, the Chinese have just successfully put a spacecraft in orbit around Mars. And later, that craft is going to deploy a rover down to the planet's surface. Who knows what kind of really cool shit they're going to find. Maybe they'll finally find the pyramids on Mars? Anyone remember Art Bell? West of the Rockies, dial 1-866-8686 from the high desert in the kingdom of Nye. Oh man, what a bust all that turned out to be. Hours and hours of talk radio about pyramids on Mars, and it was all just hokey bullshit. Entertaining as hell, though. Speaking of entertaining as hell, how great has this new 2021 podcast series been? I checked out the stats the other day, and there was a spike in listeners from Massachusetts. Notably, from the fighting city of Brockton, Mass, home of marvelous Marvin Hagler. I don't want to put a resume on a rope or anything like that, but I did spend a little bit of time in Brockton as a kid. We lived in one of the slum buildings at Warren Ave in Belmont. Later, they tore all that shit down and built an elementary school. But back in the day, I rode around a bit on the Bat Bus, hung out at the Westgate Mall a few times, cruise over to the Brockton Fair with the homies, maybe get into a little mischief there, try to bust a soft rubber balloon with a dull dart to take home a Metallica poster. I did go over to DW Fields Park, caught a sunfish, that's right, did some real angling. I had the bobber, the lure, and all that shit, tough guy. Pull that fish out of the reservoir, put mustard on it, eat the fucking shit. You like that, sizzle chest? Get Brett where I said Oh, it's such good times. Uh, I did end up working pretty hard to lose the accent. I didn't want to go around saying shot stop for the rest of my life. But I'm always a Boston kid at heart and did spend some time in the South Shore. So cool to see new listeners start popping up in New England. Really like where the show is right now. It's like folks might be telling their homies around town about it. And that's why these new listener surges seem to come in geographic cluster. I dig that. It's pretty cool. But I still don't have any real intention of doing anything to promote the show. Uh, Most times I tweet out a link when the pod goes up, but I just locked my Twitter account recently, so not sure how effective posting links over there is going to be. Whatever. Locking the account was the right move. Don't get me wrong, I fucking love that site. But I think for me, the best way to use it is to limit the audience. I'm not selling anything, I'm not trying to build a brand. 
I am opinionated though, and I sure like to post social commentary and make some juvenile jokes. But those Twitter streets can be a pretty toxic place sometimes. One must put up barriers to keep oneself intact. By locking down the account, it hopefully limits the potential that some psycho is going to melt down over something I post and try and deplatform me. And you could say that that's paranoid, and you might be right, but it already happened once. I took a suspension from the Tweet Lords. I mean, it was super unlikely to ever happen, but it did. And that was really weird, because I only have a couple hundred followers. I'm a nobody. But when you're a nonpartisan nobody, and you're free to criticize Democrats when they do stupid shit, and they do a lot of stupid shit, and you comment on that, it can cause some serious tension on the tweet machine. Like, I've never been worried about MAGA World trying to come cancel me when I say that the Donald is a clown fuck, or that I did a show on Mike Flynn being a piece of shit K Street grifter, or Mike Pence being an invisible sky god loon. The social media rage mobs, those are almost exclusively a left-wing phenomenon. In my experience as a whole, the Trump folks just aren't as angry and vindictive as the leftists are. I mean, the extremists on both sides are pretty fucking kooky. But it's definitely more of the left-wing nutters that mob up on Twitter or try and get people canceled or crush your business with fake reviews. By locking my account, randos are less likely to end up raging at me. And I might get to stick around on the platform a little longer. Which is cool, because like I was saying, I really do enjoy that site. Everyone did see the lawyer with the cat filter on Zoom. Hysterical. And all of the Super Bowl memes and shit posting. Yes. I'm kind of all over the place here in this first segment, but you knew I was going to get to that Super Bowl. What an absolute ass kicking. The paper champs got fucking mollywopped. Oh, it was so great. Did you see that one coming? Tampa in a rout? The Bucks hold the Chiefs without a touchdown. Man, I heard a lot of chirping when Kansas City beat up on Buffalo. But after the Super Bowl, it got really quiet. The feedback in the group chat, it just wasn't flowing quite the same way it was when I had misfired on the bill. Ugh, that was a week off. Turns out that it was the Bucks that did it and not the Bills. Fair enough. That Kansas City loss was spectacular because now I can make, if the Chiefs had wanted to, jokes for the rest of time. Oh my god, it's so great. That junk narrative, the Chiefs are unstoppable. They can score whenever they want. Doesn't matter who the opponent is. Can't stop them. 30 points. Just write it in. Boom. See ya. Never have to listen to that again. Shit. They were hella lucky just to beat the Browns. Congrats on the signature win of 2021, stomping the Bills. What a huge accomplishment, Kansas City. Running it up on a franchise that's famous for shitting the bed in the postseason. I won't choke like the Buffalo Bills. That's right, Cube. The Bills are habitual bed shitters. Anyway, Chiefs did not manage to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. But had they wanted to, they would have scored a whole bunch of... Of course... After the soft-ass paper champs got their wigs split, the squares started crying about the refs, which is just pathetic. I guess you could question that one personal foul call on Chris Jones, but 
Then again, maybe Chris should be focused enough not to slap an opponent in the head. The refs actually went really easy on the Chiefs. Kansas City was egregiously holding on both sides of the ball on essentially every play. I swear, the Chiefs' game plan for Mike Evans was to grab his jersey or trip him every time he ran a route. The coach's film is available now on Game Pass. You can watch it all go down. Evans didn't even get his first target until the Bucks' third possession, but the Chiefs' DBs had been holding the shit out of him the entire time. And refs usually check in with the players on that kind of stuff. If you listen to enough mic'd up, you'll hear them come over. Hey, 21, you're way downfield and you're still clutching him. That's going to be a penalty. If the ball comes out on that, that's a flag. And by the time that the tip ball interception came around, Evans had been being held on essentially every route, but Casey had only taken the one penalty for it. Was it unfortunate for the Chiefs that the flag came out on a play where the pass ended up being intercepted? Of course. But maybe they should have had a better plan for covering Evans than having 35 plant his arms and his neck and sternum eight yards downfield. I mean, on the drive before the half, the deep pass, 21 was burned so fucking bad. He just dove into Evans' legs to knock him down. I, I never listened to the TV broadcast live, but on the replay, I did hear stupid Romo. Ball looked overthrown, Jim. Yeah, because all six foot five of Mike Evans was on the ground instead of using his 37 inch vertical to jump up and catch it. Couple plays later, the Chiefs gave Evans just a free release on first and goal from the nine, and Matthew had no fucking prayer of covering Evans all alone in the middle of the field when Mike was coming at him at full stride, so the Badger just mauled him in the end zone. The ball had literally just left Brady's hand when the blatant foul occurred, the refs reaching for the flag before the trajectory of the ball was known. But if anyone wants to say, uh, that's no flag because it's not catchable, that's fine. You're just being a bitch. 31 to 9. Come get your beat down, Kansas City. Run it back? More like get run over. A Of course, Tampa went on to have that sweet boat parade and drunk Brady's wobbling around, throwing the Lombardi trophy from boat to boat. How soon can we rename that thing? Obviously, it should be the TB12 trophy. So it's all good times down in Tampa. Good for them. That's a really cool story. For the Chiefs, it will be interesting to see where they go from here. It reminds me a lot of the 90s Favre Packers. Another team that was just insanely overhyped. But check out how similar this shit is. Back in the day, Brett Favre was allegedly the most brilliant quarterback that the world had ever seen. And his team was a sure thing to be a mega dynasty. Except what actually happened was the up-and-coming Packers had to face a real dynasty in the 1995 conference championships, and the Packers lost. Yeah, Dallas was at the end, but they were still a legit dynasty. The following year, however, the Packers did ride a series of flukes to win a championship. Green Bay got to face the Kerry Collins Panthers in the conference championship that year. Then they went on to win the Super Bowl on some Desmond Howard kick return. Of course, after that, the hype was just insufferable. 
The Packers are the most unstoppable force the world has ever seen. Ugh. And sure enough, they did go back to the Super Bowl the following year, and they were the favorites. Then they promptly got their asses handed to them by old man Elway. Line that up with the current day Chiefs. Most brilliant quarterback the world has ever seen. Two years ago, they're in the conference championship, but they get beat by the last dance of the legit Patriots dynasty. Last year, they fluke their way to a Super Bowl win after they get an unexpected Cinderella opponent in the conference championship. The hype moves to plaid and the whole thing's insufferable, but they do make it back to the Super Bowl for the second year in a row as the favorites, and they promptly get their asses handed to them by an old man. Amazing, right? We'll see if the Chiefs fall off the cliff the way that the non-Dynasty Fire Packers did. I sure hope so, because mocking the paper champs and all the squares that hype them has been a hell of a lot of fun. And I would like to thank the Chiefs for the small fortune that I have made along the way as they stumbled to a 2-9 ATS record to close out the season. Aside from that chunk that I gave back on the bills, it has been a great ride. Thank you, Paper Champs. Okay, so there is yet another impeachment effort going on. I guess I should slam together a quick segment about that. In the past, I think impeachment was a somewhat serious thing, but here in the Trump era, it's devolved into just another meaningless partisan circus. You may recall about a year ago, then-president Donald Trump was acquitted by the Senate after the House impeached him for talking to the president of the Ukraine. I did a set of shows on that fiasco. They are very entertaining and very informative, as you would expect. They're in the archive, if you want to check them out. Back then, the Democrats had made up a story that Trump offered a quid pro quo to the Ukrainian president, if that Ukrainian president would just provide the Don with some dirt on Joe Biden. However, in response to the impeachment effort, Trump simply released the full transcript of his call with Yimikov, and it turns out the impeachment was just all a bunch of clowny, orange man bad bullshit. Go figure. This time around, the Democrats do not even have a phone call to base their impeachment on. Nope. This time we're going with your imagination. They would like everyone to join them in pretending that Donald Trump ordered his MAGA insurrection army to raid the Capitol building and topple democracy. I touched on the legality of incitement allegations on an earlier show, maybe two weeks ago, but I could repeat it here because it's really, really simple. There is a well-known 1982 Supreme Court decision, the NAACP versus Claiborne. That decision makes it abundantly clear. The legal standard for incitement is a statement that specifically directs an action. Of course, Donald Trump never directed anyone to storm the Capitol. Accordingly, there is no incitement from a legal perspective. It is among the easiest legal questions that anyone can ever answer. However, impeachment is not a legal process. It is a political process. So Congress is free to draft whatever fantastical story that they want and write it into an impeachment. And that's what they did. The official description in the House resolution is, quote, incitement of insurrection, end quote. 
In that resolution, the House Democrats allege that the Don incited an insurrection when he said, quote, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore, end quote. <laughs> I mean, what do you want me to do with this? The House filed an impeachment over standard political rhetoric. Uh, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of listing every time every politician has said that we need to fight for some political outcome or some injustice will prevail. That kind of stuff is as common as the air that we breathe. The field is littered with hyperbole and rhetoric from every angle. There might not be a member of Congress that has ever lived on either side of the aisle that hasn't used the exact same fight analogy when speaking about their legislative goals. None of it meets the legal standard for incitement. This entire impeachment effort is just another political Rorschach test. It's not a legal exercise, it's not an analytical exercise, it's all about imagination. And that might be why so many people seem to have just tuned out on this round of impeachment theater. No one is going to have any type of higher moral clarity from any of this. The people who hate Trump are going to spaz out and argue that he incited a new 9-11. The people who love Trump are going to spaz out and argue that he is the greatest human that's ever lived. And... How many ever few remaining rational people are out there? Perhaps you're like me, just quietly wishing that both of these moronic cults could just be launched into the sun. War. We don't need your war. really turning out to be a fantastic show isn't it anytime i can sneak in the iced tea slayer combo you know it's a damn fine show hey did you know that dave mustaine recorded the original body count walk-up track i gotta play this check this out this is so badass and so far ahead of its time How sick is that? Anyway, like I was saying, impeachment's not a legal process. The incitement claims a non-starter in any court. It's pretty much an insult to my intelligence to even suggest it, but it's a political process. There's going to be highly politicized statements. So maybe what I should do is try to look at it from a poli-sci perspective. What are the Democrats trying to accomplish? Here's my theory. 
Beyond the fundraising motivation and the desire to use narrative to implement policy that comes along with pretty much every crisis response, I think in this particular context, the Democrats also had to give their base something to validate all the batshit crazy conspiracies that they have launched over the last four years. Let me pause real quick to be clear. It is not my fault that so many people went so batshit crazy. I am not the one who thought that Carter Page and George Papadopoulos were international super spies sent to hack the 2016 election. I'm not the one who created this cartoon world where the obnoxious, narcissistic game show host gets portrayed as a ruthless fascist dictator. But there was so much media and so many people who are all so fully invested in these moronic end-of-democracy narratives. I've never seen anything like it. Nobody has. The Underton window is in such a whack place. So from a poli-sci perspective, I do think that there's a desire from the politicians and the media personalities that sold all of that bullshit to pay it off some. They've got to give the nutters something to cling to since none of those stupid Trump doomsday predictions were ever real. And I think that's part of the reason that politicians and media have been absolutely flooding the zone with absurd embellishments of what happened on January 6th. Yes, it was a violent protest. No, it was not an insurrection that nearly toppled democracy. It's just so blatantly phony. But it's also nothing new. It's like pretending Trump is a dictator when, in reality, making fun of him is the safest thing in the world to do. Now we have Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett claiming that Republicans attempted to murder her. It's such a cartoon world. It really is Brondo has electrolytes. Here's one quick example of how this game gets played. Does everyone know who Andrea Mitchell is? Congrats if you don't. But for the record, Miss Mitchell is the NBC News chief Washington correspondent and chief foreign affairs correspondent and anchor. Ooh, that's impressive. Well, the NBC News chief Washington correspondent was reporting on a recent impeachment proceeding, and she tweeted, quote, Senator Ted Cruz says the impeachment trial is like Shakespeare, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. No, that's Faulkner. End quote. <laughs> Jesus. Is there a better demonstration of what these news personalities are all about? Andrea and her barely functioning brain are supposed to be reporting on the impeachment hearings. But in reality, she's assigned to go yell, Democrat smart, Republican dumb, regardless of what's actually going on. And NBC News promotes her as a serious person, even though she's an impulsive halfwit that can't even recognize a famous Macbeth soliloquy. Her entire job is to propagate DNC talking points. Maybe I should do a Bitcoin challenge. Go find a single time that Andrea Mitchell has used her media presence to belittle a Democrat. And I'll, I'll give away an old cold storage wallet that has a coin or two in it. You're not going to find one. The NBC News chief Washington correspondent has nothing to do with news or report. She's an invalid. And they wind her up and send her out there to piss on everyone's leg and tell them that it's raining. And that generates a massive following because truth and accuracy do not matter. Back to our Shakespeare example, after she posted, no, that's Faulkner, 
a bunch of other team good blue check retards started jumping in thinking that they were dunking on Cruz too. Anyway, the poli-sci aspect of it is that if Andrea Mitchell and the DNC media yell Democrat good, Republican bad enough times on enough media outlets, the useful idiots will eventually come to think that it's fashionable and they'll repeat it. That's not to say that the Republicans are good, because obviously they aren't, but it is to say that the Democrats are all the exact same types of bad. The DNC just has this massive promotional propaganda arm that is the media and tech companies. They get much better cover for all their corrupt bullshit. Speaking of which, the Democrats now have a House majority, a Senate tiebreaker, and the White House. I mean, how many incumbent Democrats are returning to this new setup? And what did they have in their pocket waiting to launch when this moment arrived? Did they show up with maybe well-developed healthcare plans or comprehensive immigration reform? No, <laughs> they showed up with 100 new bills about Congress in these first few weeks. Literally, if you visit congress.gov and browse by policy subject, the 117th Congress has already filed an astonishing 100 pieces of new legislation to change their own rule. Not that they're a selfish lot, though. They also showed up with three bills on social welfare and a stupid fantasy impeachment designed to placate a bunch of idiots. To close out the show, when I think about the political purpose of the impeachment, it seems like it's designed to permanently imprint the DNC's narrative. And that narrative can then be used to fundraise, it can be used by big tech to censor, and perhaps by some Democrats in Congress, it can be used to attempt a new Patriot Act II type of bill. Plus, if the DNC narrative is imprinted, it provides their base with a retort that they can reach for whenever criticized about anything. A new whataboutism. I've already seen it. I was talking to one of my homies the other day, and I was ragging on Neera Tandon's appointment, and he kind of quickly pivoted over to, well, did she get anyone to storm the Capitol? <laughs> it's an impeachment about political rhetoric that's designed to be used as political rhetoric. It's all just so magical. What a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs>